You're listening to the Fantasy Forum. This podcast is a collaborative and student-sourced podcast. Our goal is to create a forum to discuss fantasy across its many genres and modes so that we can talk about fantasy's place in our lives. Hey guys, welcome to a podcast where we delve into certain components of fantasy and ask important questions that uncover their role and significance within the genre. I am, of course, your host, Christian Haynes. And I am your other host, Amotitada. Today, we will actually be talking about a concept that is very common throughout many works of fantasy in literature, movies, and actually even video games. This concept is called anthropomorphism. Basically, it is when authors attribute human characteristics to animals. For example, think the cat in the hat. In that book, the cat not only has the stature of a cat, but he's actually also very clever and, can, and he can talk. I don't know why that was the first example that popped into my head, but I guess it works. <laughs> also, but however, today, our focal example that we will be dis- dissecting and talking about for the purposes of this discussion is called the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah. So, in in the Chronicles of Narnia, whether you're, whether you're looking at the book or the movies, there's you know a lot of animals that can not only speak human languages, um, but some of them actually have like human features as well. <laughs> Just like my co-host, <laughs> Russia. Anyways, Christian. <laughs> Do you want to give a brief summary of the novel for our listeners who may not be familiar? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so yeah, Narnia, or yeah, Narnia is pretty much what the land is called, and it's a land of talking animals, mythical creatures, and they're all ruled by the infamous White Witch. And so at the beginning of the narrative, four children go to the English countryside, and the, basically the setting is, this is like during World War II. And so they discover a wardrobe, and that transports them to a mythical world. Um, basically, one of the children is influenced wrongly by the White Witch and told to bring his siblings to her. Lucy, the youngest child, she meets her new friend, who's Tumnus, who's a fawn, which is half-goat, and they become friends. But later, Tumnus is arrested for treason. Um, I'm kind of rambling, but basically the children are told of a prophecy that can stop the White Witch the White Witch's reign by, like, two, uh, what, what were they? Um, I think they were actually beavers. Let me just, uh, finish the summary. Yeah, sure. So, uh, thanks. After that, I believe a lion named Aslan returns to Narnia, which, after years of no-show, and Edmund, who is one of the four children, tells the White Witch of his return. The children and the beavers meet with, uh, the lion Aslan and his army, and Aslan agrees with the White Witch to spare the child's life who has been talking to the White Witch in return for Aslan's own life. Although, the next morning, Aslan has come back to life from, like, deeper and intense magic. Then, Aslan takes two of the children to the Witch's castle to revive all the Narnians that have been turned to stone on the White Witch's front lawn or courtyard, and they all join the Narnians' army, and they eventually end up killing the White Witch. 
After all this happens, the four children are crowned the kings and queens of Narnia. Awesome. So, we are here today with Sophia Haynes, who is actually a journalism and graphic design major attending the University of Georgia. She's a senior with a wide range of knowledge and fantasy. Sophia, I'm very excited for you to be a part of this podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Sophia, I understand that you like to read a lot of books. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of my favorite series would include the Mortal Instruments series as well as Harry Potter. Um, I also really like Lord of the Rings, the movies, um, which led me to reading the three Lord of the Rings books and also the Hobbit book, which also had three movies. So yeah, you could probably say that I'm a JRR fan and I've obsessed over it in the past and, you know, um, the podcast is about fantasy, right? So I try to think of books in that vein, but I pretty much read all genres like science fiction for sure. Um, I went through a huge science fiction or maybe dystopian fiction phase when I was younger and I was super obsessed with stuff like Divergent and The Maze Runner. Um, I was also a pretty big fan of your focal example. I read The Chronicles of Narnia when I was a kid, but you know, I've revisited it a couple of times and most recently in the beginning of quarantine when, you know, I had nothing much to do, but um, I'm so excited and I'm happy I picked it up again. Oh yeah, that's perfect. And I mean, for anthropomorphism, how familiar are with are you with that concept, you know, um, especially, you know, how it relates to fantasy? Yeah, um, it's definitely come up a lot whenever I read or, you know, watch something in the realm of fantasy. For example, I recently was watching Charlotte's Web a couple of weeks ago with some friends of mine. Don't ask me why we chose that, uh, just for, you know, the memories. But yeah, for sure, it comes up and I enjoy it when it does. Um, I haven't really had the chance to think about it too critically, though. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I guess you, you ha probably had a lot of experience with the concept then. Um, I haven't watched that movie in such a long time. It's funny you bring that up. I need to go back to it. Anyways, um, yeah, I guess it's a, probably a good time to get into the questions. Uh, you ready? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So, let's see. Sophia, why do you think... First of all, why do you think that authors even use animals to represent their characters in works of fantasy? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, um, I believe authors use animals for the most part to show common and different themes that are fundamental to written works and develop the plot. So, you know, animals tend to play a huge part as animals can bring out meanings to fantasy novels that human characters can't. And so different authors have their own reasons to bring in animals and works of fantasy, but they are mostly used for readers to see the fantasy novel from a different viewpoint in a lens of an animal. So in my household, I have two dogs, an Australian Shepherd and a Beagle, and I can see that they have a big role in human households. And I see in movies, TV shows, and even fantasy novels that directors and authors have also formed this into their own respective books or movies and in my opinion this has proven great for authors as animals you know tend to tell a story that humans can't and this is why I believe authors use animals to represent characters in works of fantasy. 
Yeah, yeah, honestly, I think I agree. Um, I've seen a couple of, you know, movies, TV shows, books, and I, I don't, I don't think they would be the same without the addition of animals. Like, I mean, you brought up the point of Charlotte's Web. Um, so how do you, how do you think that anthropomorphism allows authors to potentially convey different things in their books than they would be had they used, uh, you know, real characters or real humans? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that definitely, you know, as a consumer of the fantasy, fantasy genre, sometimes, you know, I get a certain vibe or feeling when a character is represented by an animal, so... You know, I guess if I had to give an example from Narnia, characters like Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are very cute, and I think this makes the reader way more attached to them and their family. And I also think that certain characters, like Reepicheep, the mouse, provides com uh, comedic relief because, you know, he's a mouse and he's also a noble knight, and it just makes him more endearing, too. And I think in books like this, taking away that would also take a lot of the magic out and I mean imagine Narnia without the animal human hybrids it would just be a story about war honestly um you know even though not all fantasy books movies etc have anthropomorphism and I think that it's an important or it's important for the genre for sure yeah actually I think you're definitely right about the endearing part I don't know if it's a conscious decision made by the writer or if it like kind of just happens as a result. But uh, finally, let's get into the specifics. What do you think is a significant? What do you think is significant about the fact that Aslan is actually depicted as a lion, and how does that further develop uh, this specific fantasy novel? Yeah. So I mean, this definitely goes back to the previous question. Aslan is a lion, so you know, I guess what we associate with lions is you know, quote-unquote, the king of the jungle, so, like, pride and strength and courage and nobility, and you can definitely see that in his character as he is basically, you know, the leader throughout the book um, that kids and creatures look up to, and I know when I was younger, I always looked up to him as, you know, being all those things, pride, strength, courageous, and noble, and so I think he's also called king of the beast, right, you know? So, um, the fact that he is a lion drives that home, it also, you know, makes him more interesting. Yeah, so, I actually think it's for sure more interesting. I think the, the aspect that is somewhat neglected, like, obviously, there, there are many, many ways you can weave hidden messages and themes into your story. But animals are just, I believe, in my own opinion, they're just so much cooler and have the potential to appeal to other audiences. So what do you think about the theme of man versus nature? Also, what do you think is the significance to this in the context of a fantasy novel? Uh, and in, in this novel specifically, it actually makes me think of the scene where Aslan is chained and his hair is cut while being chastised by the White Witch's army. Yeah, okay, so to talk about this first, I think we should definitely, you know, define what man versus nature is, is. and so... You know, that's when there's a conflict between a character of a novel, which tends to be human, and, you know, another character who tends to be an animal or a force of nature. So, in this particular instance, um, I believe Aslan is the nature, and, you know, the man or character is the white witch. You know, man versus nature is very significant in the terms that this theme resolves conflict. You know, usually the hero or one of the main characters are able to stop that kind of conflict, 
by having a plan, you know, either by being clever or prepared in advanced or in advance. So in this case, Aslan, who is nature, we'll define him as nature, is able to be clever in the fact that he was brought back to life by magic. And then he brought, you know, a whole army to fight the White Witch while the White Witch thought he was completely dead. And so the antagonists or, you know, the bad guy in these novels tend to be the force of nature. But in this case, the antagonist was the White Witch. And so the scene that you talk about when Aslan is chained and his hair is cut, you know, leads to his death. Um, but that builds up to the theme of man versus nature as when Aslan is resurrected, you know, due to, due to the laws of deeper magic. And he was prepared and clever to bring up, uh, bring back to life the petrified Narnians and the White Witch's courtyard to lead them in the battle where, you know, this conflict is quickly resolved by killing the White Witch. And so the theme man versus nature is clearly shown here as Aslan was able to resolve the conflict by, you know, as I mentioned earlier, being clever and prepared. Yeah, after hearing that, I actually wonder if there is something more important or significant with the wardrobe as a portal between the two worlds. Uh, I think one world is governed by men and the other is actually governed by animals. Yeah, you know, probably, probably so. And maybe this is just some way that, you know, the author separated the two worlds. However, you know, one thing remains the same, which is that both civilizations or worlds are in the middle of a large conflict. And I think that England is in the middle of World War II, and obviously the other world is also in a large conflict between the White Witch and the creatures like Aslan. And so these two worlds, in a way, um, use anthropomorphism, oh my god, I can't speak, anthropomorphism to compare these two worlds as if to say that, you know, humans are more primal or animal-like than they would think. Um, so yeah, just using that in fantasy works to develop their narratives in a way that is, you know, essential. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, honestly, I agree with you. And I mean, if we're looking at, I guess we can look at some specific characters now. So like Tumnus, which was Lucy's first friend. Mm -hmm. um, he's a fawn, yeah. So he's half goat as well. Um, what do you think that could possibly imply about his character or disposition? Do you think that it has any bearing um, or maybe is it intentional or what? Yeah, um, I'm not really sure, you know, like off the top of my head, I guess that it would evoke a similar feeling, you know, to the other animals I mentioned, like the beavers and the mouse, you know, half goat is kind of just funny inherently too. And so it just makes the character more endearing and, also, I remember the character and their dialogue being pretty funny, too. So the fact that he is the first creature and friend that Lucy meets, you know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Um, the character, I think the character connects the gap between the human and the animal because, you know, he's, he's not fully human. He's not fully animal. Yeah. Do you think or how do you think this helps evoke empathy from the reader? possibly due to the fact that he is a hybrid. Yeah, the, you know, it's great you bring that up. It's honestly something I didn't think about. You know, I guess there could be some significance to the fact that he is a half-breed for, you know, lack of a better term. Maybe mm -hmm. this was meant to, you know, evoke some empathy. And to be honest, as I was reading, I didn't really consider this ever. Um, I guess I just thought it was more of like, you know, a side detail rather than, you know, any 
crucial factor. And so as far as his actions go, I guess they go hand in hand. You know, he's always helpful and selfless when it comes to helping Lucy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so um, do you think the White Witch actually helped bring out the emotions of the animals and help um, develop anthropomorphism in this sense? Also, I want to ask, do you think the White Witch was depicted somewhat as a bestial character in human form, even though she was actually depicted as the most human in this novel? Yeah, so um, I definitely believe the White Witch definitely brought out the emotions of the animals. You know, for example, all the animals that were petrified in the White Witch's courtyard felt a need of wanting to fight the White Witch's army, which ultimately led to her defeat. Um, anthropomorphism was definitely developed developed extensively. You know, as this novel showed animals, emotion, animals' emotions, which, you know, reduced the human emotion. And so the biggest animal in the Chronicles of Narnia that developed anthropomorphism was Reepicheep. You know, the mouse, as he disregarded logic and showed some illogical emotions as a human would sometimes do. And so I do believe the White Witch was depicted, you know to show violence while she wears this like fur coat. And so these characteristics, you know, tend to be, you know, a component of animals. And I find that interesting, even though she's supposed to be mostly human, there are these components in her. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, actually, that's a really interesting point. Also, I feel like fantasy can actually really benefit from this extra dimension of um, characterization that anthropomorphism provides. Um, it also makes the plot more interesting, in my own opinion. Do you actually agree with this? And do you think that anthropomorphism can be um, considered a defining factor of fantasy for this reason and why? Yeah, you know, I think that it could definitely be a defining factor of fantasy. And so not necessarily, you know, that it has to be used. Um, but just that when it is used, you know, you're reading or watching something fantasy you know also just based on how much importance it has on the setting characterization and mood it can't be denied that it plays you know a massive role so personally i think it just adds to the magic and that is probably its most important role you know books and movies are made more interesting with these additions and some works are so dependent on the fact that an animal can talk or that all the characters are animals not that i you know don't enjoy any other genre or even fantasy that doesn't have animals like this but you know i definitely think there is a place for it within the genre yeah yeah i definitely agree with that yeah wow actually i think we're done so thank you for this great informational discussion I'm so glad that we got the opportunity to interview you today and hear what you had to say about this specific novel and fantasy. It seems as though anthropomorphism and fantasy is a lot more nuanced than I had imagined. I think you actually bring up a few great points, Sophia. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You know, I never thought I would discuss The Lion, the Witch, Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia and relate it, you know, to anthropomorphism and fantasy so yeah again thank you guys so much for letting me be a part of the podcast episode you know as i have attained more knowledge than i came in with and you guys definitely brought up some great points that um i had never even considered or thought of so yeah that's that's super cool i'm super glad that you know you could take something from this podcast as i'm sure amok and i can agree that we have as well so 
yeah, thank you for being agreed to be interviewed. I feel like I'm much more informed than before we talked. Also have a fresh new perspective on the book. It's honestly been a it's been a couple of years. So yeah, thank you for being a part of the episode. Um hope to talk to you in the near future and for our podcast listeners listening at home, thank you for tuning in and make sure to tune in for the next episode. Bye. Thank you Bye. guys.